Welcome to today's podcast. The title is Cleaning Safely, and we are preparing hard for a big workshop we have this Sunday, the 23rd of October. As usual, I'm Louise, and this is Diane, and you're going to start us off with what we are going to be talking about, aren't you? Yeah, so as you as you said, we've got a workshop on Sunday, and um, we're going to be covering various topics around cleaning safely. So I thought we'd have a quick chat about them in advance of Sunday. We've got, I think, about 120 people people booked in for Sunday so no pressure Louise four days to go so we know we're going to get loads more so. absolutely so um, yeah we're really looking forward to it but I thought we'd yeah let's have a chat about what we're going to be covering in the workshop and maybe as always we'll go off on a little bit of a tangent and tell you about some of our errors as well and things that we've maybe done wrong in terms of um, cleaning safely in the past and um, so let's start with the first topic which is kosh um, so for those that don't know, control of substances hazardous to health kind of is what it says on the tin, isn't it, really, in terms of that. But Louise, when you started your business way back, what did you know about Kosh? Like it's scary, isn't it? It's really scary. There's all these rules and legislations. And if I'm honest now, it is obviously I've spent a lot of time studying it and learning about it. So, of course, things get easier. The main way that people kind of breach Kosh now, in my opinion, in domestic cleaning is um, they put the things in the wrong bottles. So that's number one. And number two, people go, oh, I'd never mix chemicals. I'd never mix chemicals. They do it all the time. So the biggest one to me about mixing chemicals is the toilet. They mix it all the time yeah. and they don't even know. Yeah, I agree. And I think maybe as well, and whether this is kosh or just general common sense, I'm never really sure, I suppose both, um, is using the wrong products in the wrong place. So, so putting things in the wrong bottles, you haven't got the label there and, and people will put products in all sorts of strange places, won't they? Harpic, I think, is a big one. Yeah, we'll just use that to clean anywhere. And it's like, no, use it to clean the toilet, please. Cleaning grout with oven cleaner. It tends to be your toilet cleaner and oven cleaners get yeah. swapped about quite a lot it's like what what why guys do you know what's in these yeah. like a toilet cleaners for the toilet and oven cleans for the oven you can't really swap them why don't you just buy the other product yeah not unless you want your lovely shiny chrome in your bathroom to be a completely different color than when you started the eco-friendly comes into this it doesn't it with kosh i think they're very interesting because you've got a few products coming out now that don't need safety data sheets or i'm going to clean everything with vinegar so it's absolutely fine I don't understand why these tiles aren't shining anymore. I don't understand. And you go, vinegar, you know, it's a natural product, but that doesn't mean it's safe for use on everything. No, no, absolutely. And I think, I suppose when I first started and my thoughts around Kosh was, that, first of all, I don't think I actually even knew what it stood for at the time. Um, I, I knew, the, knew the word Kosh, but I didn't know what it actually was. Um, and also some of my early products, I was really trying to be really careful and being, you know, making sure I was using safe ones. So I probably made assumptions that they were safer than they were um, early on. And whether, you know, Eco and vegan. I know we have some really good suppliers with the DCBN, don't we, that supply really amazing products, but they still need to have cost risk assessments done on them. Even if the cost risk assessment says there's no risk, you still have to have a, an assessment done. I think part of the problem, though, is we're cleaning in domestic houses. And the reality is we all live in domestic houses and we all have a load of products under our sink. And because they're already in the house and we're already using them, then we all assume that they're safe. And, and I think that's where the problem comes. Well, I've used it for years. But yeah. That doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean you're doing it safely. And have you considered doing it a different way? Um, and I think 
that's really the problem with Kosh. Most people think it doesn't apply to them because they're not using it in what they might consider a professional environment. And so, but but the reality is the risks apply, whether I'm cleaning an office or whether I'm cleaning a, a lounge, it makes no difference. If I'm going to use certain products, then regardless of the environment, those products need to be used safely. And I need to understand what products I'm using and yeah. And sometimes it's not just about the environment, is it? It's actually about the person using it. And I know you've you've talked about some stats before, haven't you, about the cleaners in, in the industry and, and actually the effect on our health of using these products day in, day out. So there's, there's good reasons to understand Kosh. And hopefully on Sunday, and we're going to simplify things and sh- show people not just why they should understand it, but also to help them understand it as well and apply it in their businesses. And the thing that I love about our courses, and it's not just this one, it's about all of them, is we don't write the cleaning research. You know, there are experts out there that do biohazard, that do infection control, that write the COSH rules. We don't actually write any of this stuff. But what we do better than anyone else in our industry is apply it to the domestic cleaning setting. So, these rules exist and lots of people go, well, I could find about this on the internet. Well, yes, you could. You could go on the internet and you could read all about caution. And actually, I encourage you to do that. But if you want it applied and learn how to apply it in your environment in a way that other people struggle with, that's what we do. And where we struggle, we've paid experts to do this. And this was actually written by a biohazard teacher and applied all of the knowledge to the domestic cleaning environment and it was hard there was a lot of consultations to and fro where she was going well how do I apply this to this environment so when you come on our courses they really are something special we don't just teach you about kosh in the same old boring way because you could read it on the internet what we do is apply it to your environment yeah and your actual business yeah and I remember that when we consulted with the um the, the biohazard specialists and around cleaning safely particularly when we were going back to work after covid and we we had some quite robust conversations with her didn't we that it can't be done that way in the domestic environment but how can we do it safely and and she was really on board it was brilliant but there were yeah definitely some some tough conversations at times weren't there there was a bit of it. She was like, you've got to do it this way. And we went, we can't. It isn't going to happen. So you're going to have to find another way about that. Because I'm trying to think of the examples. There are things that happen, like oh, all chemicals need to be kept in a, um, what's it called, in a metal box. Yeah. Is a classic misconception of Kosh. Well, that's great. I love the idea. I'd love to keep it in a metal box. But we're going from car into houses and we don't all carry metal boxes with us. And most of these chemicals are kept under people's sinks anyway. So that's not going to happen. So what do we actually need to do to comply with Kosh that isn't keep it? I mean, best practice is a metal box. I get that. But it's not going to happen. So how are we going to do it safely in our environments? Yeah, it's practicality as well, isn't it? Brilliant. And then the other thing we're going to cover on Sunday is about PPE, personal protective equipment, and what that is and what it means. And I I kind of wanted us to have a little bit of a chat about, you know, what did we use pre-COVID and why why do we use it? Why is it so important? And and has there been a change since COVID? Do we use more PPE now, for instance? you asking me this one yeah (laughs) you know I always found this really interesting so pre-covid um we were always very compliant we were already following infection control measures best practice and then covid came along and everybody went I know nothing about infection control and biohazard and so of course we taught everybody and we got experts in and we re-qualified as well 
actually, apart from masks, so prior to COVID, we weren't using masks, but our glove policies didn't change what we used. And it was quite interesting because a lot of companies couldn't get hold of gloves when love not money. And we already had stocks of them because we were using them anyway. And then it turned out that the chemicals that we were already using, because we were already using professional chemicals, I think the one that we were using was certified within a month. It was one of the ones you would use on touch points um, and was really, really suitable. Whereas actually for most people, the only options they had was bleach. And for a long time, and as cleaners, we can't go spraying bleach over people's houses. So um, I think for those of us that were pretty compliant already, you know, we learned very, very quickly that actually what we were already doing kept us really, really safe. And for me, when the pandemic came out and it was a real struggle to get staff back to work, they were scared. They were seriously scared. Whereas we could go back in and go, look, the products you're used to, we're not going to change. They're not scary products. They're what you've always been used to. The policies, the gloves. We're not changing anything. Yes, you now have to wear masks. So masks, I don't like masks. I shouldn't confess this, should I? Don't really like masks. So um, we, as quickly as we humanly could, we then said, right, we don't clean the same room as anyone. So we got rid of the use of masks as quickly as possible. Um, now, it's interesting because actually quite a few products require masks. So, for example, your concentrated flash which is a common product, most of your mold sprays, they actually require you to wear a mask. And now people are a lot more aware, whereas before they'd go, I'm not wearing a mask. Whereas now they're like, fine, yeah, I'll put a mask on. So interesting. Yeah, it's made it easier to, to comply um, with a mask for other things now, not just COVID. Yeah, the big thing for me is people became more aware of infection control and it, it was brilliant for the industry. It's interesting now in that um, there's been what were we, two years since it broke out? And if you look at the churn and the turnover of businesses, we did a lot of work early on. A lot of businesses became very, very aware of infection control and what to do. Whereas I'm seeing an awful lot enter the industry now, and this is why we're putting it on on Sunday, that they've got no idea. They weren't, they didn't go through the transition with us. They're new to the business. They launched sort of six months after COVID or a year after COVID in a very distinct economic environment a very distinct um awareness of infection control and we've changed now a year later and they're now having to almost relearn what it's like not in a covid world yeah no i agree and and i suppose we're also we're evolving all the time aren't we and you know we, we i think the only thing we changed as well was was masks we started working solo we, we made a lot of sort of logistical changes but we didn't change much of the ppe apart from masks but we've had a conversation recently because we're still using masks to when on entering and leaving we don't wear them while we're cleaning because we're always in a different room and we've had a conversation recently you know we needed to buy some masks we were running low and i said well i'll buy some but let's put them to one side and maybe it's time to unintroduce those at this point well everybody's going to the supermarket they're going to the pub they're going everywhere without masks so unless we've got vulnerable customers we're kind of our thought process at the moment in our business is do we still need them we haven't finished the conversation but it is a conversation we're having so I had a, a similar conversation with a business owner up in Scotland yesterday I was doing some research for his bathroom presentation how to how to clean the perfect bathroom I've got that one tomorrow um and she was like, right, well, so we put the masks on, blah, blah. And I was like, what, what, why have you got a mask on? And she was like, well, we do. Every time we clean a shower, we've got the mask on for normal cleaning products. Mm -hmm. And she was like, it's made a massive difference. Now she can feel it in her chest. It's a lot better. 
And different parts of the country have really different opinions about this. And I know Scotland, I went up there and we'd all pretty much in Manchester stopped really wearing masks. And this was nearly a year ago. And I went up there and I had one mask in my pocket, one you know, single-use mask. And I was like, right, I'm going to have to keep putting this thing on. I was up there for three days. Um, I did buy some more, by the way. Um, But different places have very different perceptions on the mask issue still, and it could come back at any moment. We know that. Yeah, and that's, you know, I think it's it's good to have a stock in. But, yeah, you've got to, you've got to question why you're using something, haven't you, sometimes? And I don't think I'm I'm not saying there's a right or wrong here. You know, we all have to make our decisions, don't we? So that's good. Um, so P- that's PPE. So then I'd like to talk – we might touch on something um, that's obviously all over the internet in, in a minute um, in terms of people using lots and lots of different chemicals. But I wanted to talk about chemicals and dwell time. And I know that you, you've touched on your doing the um, a presentation tomorrow night about the perfect bathroom clean. And, you know, how are we going to cover this off in terms of, you know, making sure that people are using products in the right way? You know, how do you manage how, would, how the hell do we manage I've got it? loads of examples. About I, I know you have. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm letting you kind of run with that one. All right. So this is my latest one. I wrap my brains as to how I'm going to describe dwell time to your average person. So I recently, I don't know if you can see, I've got a bit of blue. You can't really see. I've got a bit of blue still in my hair. I recently got my hair dyed pink and blue. And it took about two hours for the colour to go in. Now, had I had that colour on for about 30 seconds... What I'll ask you, what would have happened if I'd had a colour on my hair for 30 seconds? Not a lot. <laughs> not a lot. It took about two hours. And to be honest, we still didn't even know if the blue was going to take or not. So we know that chemicals take time to work. Now, I haven't got one with me, but I love my Harpic bottle. I don't actually, but I love it as a, as a really good training aid. And if you ever read the back of a bottle of Harpic and it says it takes 10 minutes for optimum cleaning results, And then the next sentence says, and 60 minutes for optimum disinfectant results. And what we're starting to pick up is that chemicals only work if they have time to work. That's what dwell time is. It's the time it takes a chemical to work. So your your hair dye after 30 seconds might turn a tinge pink, but it's not going to see much. You're going to wash it out after one go. It's the same with your Harpic disinfectant. If you put that on for 30 seconds and scrub it off, Maybe it might kill a few of the easy to kill germs, maybe. Um, but you need 60 minutes. These things don't work quickly. So what dwell time is how long it takes to work. And you that's why it's important to understand the chemicals that you're using, isn't it? And you know, looking at the labels, understanding them and, and what they're meant to do. And most importantly for us, I think, is you know, and actually you touched on that there before I go on to this, is you talked about cleaning and disinfecting two different dwell times. And I think during COVID there was a lot of talk about cleaning and disinfecting and people's understanding of it changed. And certainly that was part of our training that we took for ourselves, but also that we we gave for other people and that we're covering this on Sunday is the difference between cleaning and disinfecting and that it is it a two-stage process? Are the products out there that do both, et cetera, et cetera? And you need to throw in sanitizing there, Diane. Oh yes, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want me to answer that one, do you? We're covering that one. I love it. So I I always think of this, right? I think of it like a cave, right? (laughs) And someone like a little thing, a bear is living in the cave. And if you kind of clean the whole landscape and you sprayed it all with like biocides and killed everything, the bear would be absolutely fine because it's hiding in the cave. Um, So it doesn't matter if you disinfect everything because as soon as that thing comes out of the cave, it's going to get you. And it's the same here. If we have crumbs all over the surface, you've got germs hiding underneath the bacteria, 
you know, pathogens hiding underneath them. Unless you remove the crumbs, there's no point in spraying and disinfectant yeah. because ultimately the pathogens are just going to come straight out and start breeding immediately. Yeah, they're still there. You haven't killed And them. not breeding, they're going to multiply, not breed. <laughs> so, okay, so um, that leading on from that then is what about all these cleaning hacks? That I know that they're entertaining, they're funny. You know, clean talk is a phenomenon in terms of the, the billions of people that watch. But we saw one, I saw it today. I think you probably saw it today as well that was shared where somebody was cleaning a, a baking tray um, with, I think, I think I saw bicarbonate of soda in there, toothpaste, toothpaste lemon. And then sanitary towels. And I think at that point I turned it off, but I think you carried on, you persevered. Um, and I think it was just, it was a like a lot of these things. Was it real? Was it a joke? Is it just designed to get clicks? But the trouble is people are trying these things. And when you're talking about chemicals, it's it's quite scary. It's entertaining, but scary at the same time. Yeah, and there's this filling up the toilet bowl with every colour. I think, yeah. to be fair, it started off quite dangerous because they were doing rainbow toilet bowls and they were using all different chemicals. But actually, as time's gone on, what I'm seeing is they're getting more vibrant. But it's paint. They're just squirting paint down the toilet. Yeah. And so... Probably because the ones I mean, that squirted chemicals are no longer with us. <laughs> <laughs> I think they got too much grief. Yeah. And so they know that the clicks happen, that people want to see these things. But they also know it's not worth the grief. Actually, if you do it with paint, you get the same excitement. You And then they started shoving sponges down the toilet so you could really see the paint build yeah. up. And they used powdered bleach because it was a powder. So it added some consistency. I really studied these, Diane, haven't I? <laughs> you have. You've watched far too many of them, I think. So the I was quite interested in the one this morning where they did toothpaste by carb, lemon juice, and I think a bit of toilet cleaner went in there. Obviously, why would you not put toilet cleaner on an oven pan? And then they started covering it. Well, then they started covering it in sanitary towels, right? And I was quite interested in that. So part of me was like, right, sanitary towels are going to absorb it. Do we want to absorb it? Probably not. But then I thought, on the other hand, you know when um, what does work? You know when people do silicon around the bottom of showers and they put mold spray on? Oh, yes. Put damp toilet roll on. It keeps it damper for longer. Therefore, it actually works a bit better. So I'm thinking, oh, these sanitary towels might work. And I'm thinking, there's plastic backing on these. So whatever we've got on there could be left on there for longer and actually might work. So I'm at this point thinking it's real. Then they covered it in a load of kitchen roll. I'm thinking, well, we've got plastic backing on here. Whatever they put on here from now will not work. And then they started squirting, you know, cans of Coke. And and, and I was like, oh, I've got tricked. I mean, I quite like all the, you know, this this cleaning tips and tricks and, and all this sort of thing. It's quite fun. And I think as an industry, it doesn't hurt us. I think we just have to kind of understand that that's just whether it's dangerous or not it's not it's not real cleaning and and I think perhaps as an industry we just have to get that across that actually most of what we do is not about chemicals anyway is it most of it is elbow grease physical effort yeah but but I think a lot of people want a quick answer and the quick answer is chemicals and if you've got a lot of lime scale for example on your shower screen you know you're going to try anything because if you are going to scrub that off I've done these before they are they could be an hour or so if you're going to physically scrub it so you know I can see why people do turn to chemicals quickly and you should I believe if a chemical can do the work then you should be scrubbing yeah absolutely yeah but 
then if the chemical then etches into your shower screen, then you've now got a much bigger problem and you've now squirted it in oven pride all over your shower screen and then it's weakened and then it, and two weeks later it all cracks. Like drain. Drain. <laughs> I'd be worried about the expensive bit underneath that you might have just ruined as well. <laughs> I do think there's a massive place for chemicals. I really love chemicals. Um, but if you understand them, and I, I, I don't believe a lot of people do. I mean, how many cleaners have an A-level in chemistry. Very, very few do. And the hardest thing about being a cleaner is where do you learn this stuff? Because even if you did have an A-level in chemistry, you don't study cleaning chemicals. So you would then have the ability to go off and learn it if you read the safety data sheets. But for most people, they just don't even know where to learn this stuff. Yeah. And I'm not sure that learning how to clean something by using products that are simply not designed for that is the answer. As entertaining as it might be and as annoying as it might be sometimes, why can't you just use a product that's designed for it? So if you've got lime scale, there are loads and loads of products out there that are designed to get rid of lime scale or help you get rid of lime scale from quite strong and more industrial ones to the more domestic products for sort of keeping it at bay. Why would you use an oven cleaner? I think it's just, that's what I don't get. You're, you're, it's just crazy. There are products out there that are labelled for that particular problem. I'll tell you the reason why. Because if you look at, a classic one is a red wine stain on a white carpet. Okay, so um, a professional a carpet cleaner will have products that particularly target red dyes and they will target it and they will use hot water extraction or whatever they choose to use and they will get right down into it and they will remove it. Now, if you are not a professional carpet cleaner and you do not have this range of chemicals, so all you've got is what's available in the supermarket, then you're going to try your lemon juice and you're going to try your white wine tipped on it because occasionally it might work I suspect with the white wine someone accidentally tipped white wine on it it worked for someone it does work I suspect water would work just as well in those situations but you keep tipping wine on that and we'll see what happens (laughs) um so I think that the problem that we have is people don't have access to the professional range so you're saying use a chemical that was designed for it and that's all well and good but if you need to go to tool station and you need a proper you know a maintenance type chemical or something that a builder would use or something that a carpet cleaner would use that isn't going to be sold in the supermarket and you don't have the knowledge then you have to use what's available and what happens is domestic cleaners think that they only can only use what's available in the supermarkets and that's just not the case yeah i suppose and that's why hence the the toothpaste the bicarb the the lemon juice the sanitary towels i mean just stop yeah Yeah, i mean don't really know what to say by this point. Like, <laughs> you've raided every cupboard, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll just try everything. But then in reality, some, like you said, some of those are actually, they're just for clicks. Then they're, they're not really serious and um, cleaning things. But we do see some quite outrageous suggestions sometimes. So that brings me on to risk assessments, because, you know, if you're going to use oven cleaner in your shower, perhaps you're taking a risk with the plumbing, with the chrome, with everything um, in, in that shower. But we have to do risk assessments in our business. It's not just about the chemicals but about the tasks that we carry out. If we've got somebody that's pregnant, somebody working on their own, there are so many different risk assessments, aren't there? And we have to cover that on Sunday in quite a succinct way. It's quite difficult, but we will take people through how they can create their own risk assessments, won't we? So people, I don't know what the feeling is. It's not that they dislike risk assessments. It's that they're either scared of it, they're scared of the amount of work. So I think we explain risk assessments so simply. I love a good risk assessment. 
one risk assessment on one process I love, right? What I don't love is every risk assessment on every process. And I think, if I'm honest, I think the reason people don't do it is it's completely overwhelming because when we run through example after example with people, they absolutely get it. And then we say, and now you need to do this on everything. And they go, what? I haven't even written down what everything is, every process. Like, they don't know what their processes are. Therefore, how do you risk assess a process? And then it becomes, right, now take everything you do in your business, write the whole lot down. They never get to risk assessments. Yeah, no. And and obviously, as part of DCBM membership, we provide a few things, don't we, in terms of risk assessments. And I know at the end of this workshop, we're going to send out um, some sort of templated um, risk assessments to the people that attend. So that will hopefully give them a, a head start over most people. But for me, I just look at it's the words risk assessment that's what I'm doing for my business I'm doing it for my team I'm doing it for my clients I'm doing you know you just have to be thinking like that all the time what could go wrong what can I put in place to stop it going wrong it's really as simple as that isn't it a lot of people think they're doing it and then when you ask them to sit down and write it down they suddenly have a whole load of other ideas not that they're not doing it but what they were doing they couldn't suddenly go oh I could do five other things and they get all excited and actually most people are pretty motivated when they learn about risk assessments it's the mundanity yeah then repetition isn't it yeah but you know it's 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 part of what sets us apart as professional domestic cleaners as opposed to just cleaning our own homes isn't it is knowing about these things learning about them you know that's why you know we're offering a free workshop so that people can learn about this and have it in place in their cleaning businesses because we know from our experience it's a really good thing to have in place but we also know how hard it is especially when you know we all started our we both started our businesses and had to put all this in place and learn the hard way didn't we and when you say it's a really good thing to have in place I believe it's a legal obligation oh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> if you've got yeah if you've got a certain number of team members five it's, it's five, five staff or more yeah yeah but you know it's for me it's a must for every business because it it sets you apart from everybody else doesn't that in terms of looking after your clients looking after yourself um, even if you're a solo cleaner, you need to look after yourself. You know, those stats on cancer in cleaners is not nice. And and the thing that a lot of people ask when we cover this is, well, I'm self-employed or I run an agency and have self-employed cleaners. Do I need to do this? Yeah, absolutely. You do. Yeah. This podcast is a nice refresher for us ready in advance of Sunday. But, you know, we go through all these four topics, cosh, PPE, chemicals and um, risk assessments. Like you said at the beginning, our job is to simplify it and help you apply it to your business. Um, and, you know, if you spend those three hours with us on Sunday, that's what you'll take away. Um, is knowing how to apply it in your business. Now, if you're already a DCBM member, you have access to this, the recording um, online forever for you and for your team to, to do the, this training. But, you know, you can join us live and do it interactive. It's There's nothing better than doing the live version. And the members get all the templates and all the documents. Uh, yeah, they get a lot more, don't they? They do, yeah. But They've got no excuse. Come on, <laughs> no, they should. Some of you still haven't done it. We know you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the workshop on Sunday, and those are the topics we're going to cover. So we'll really look forward to seeing you at the live workshop. But um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, follow us and share, and we'll see you on the next one. And Diane, to book onto the live workshop, go onto the website, oh, yeah. go onto the events, get booked on. It's completely free. You just have to register. Come and join us. We'd love to see you there. 
don't be scared. Um, we're not going to quiz you on your knowledge. We are just going to share ours with yours. So it's really, really nice, easy way to take it on board. And you get a certificate if you do the final bit of homework, which you'll want to by the end of it. Yes. So we'll see you there.